This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. My name is Gabby Barr, and I'm with Mr. Greg Crumpton. Well, today we are welcoming Bob Clark. He is the HVACR department chair at the College of DuPage. Uh, Bob, appreciate you joining us. You and I got connected through Eric Bowen, and Eric works with us at ServiceLogic, and he runs our education platform, The Edge, there. When you and Eric met, Eric came back to Charlotte, and he said, man, I met a dude you've got to meet. You're going to love this guy. Once you and I were able to talk, and I think we got together at AHR or maybe HVAC Expo, one of those deals, and uh, I called Eric, and I said, dude, you're right. Right. So this is our kind of guy. Glad you're able to, to join us today. I know that it's a busy time for you because you I think y'all went back to school yesterday, last night. So give us a little bit of background before we get going, because I always try to put nine paces ahead of the cart, whatever that saying is. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do and how you wound up doing it. We'll, we'll take off. I was a traditional college student. I went and got a double major in business and communications, and I had a great time. I wouldn't have traded that for the world. When you think you build like four trucks when you go to college, and every year you get back to college, you kind of go off road and ruin them. Somebody would have recommended, hey, you know, maybe getting a technical education or getting into some type of engineering career. I got into the business world and did that, but I really wanted to go back and get a technical education. So nobody would hire you if you had a desire to get into a field. So you had to go back and get an education. So I went back and got three degrees in industrial maintenance and electrical electronic automated systems and HVACR and did that whole revisiting community college and went to JJC, the first community college in America. Had some great teachers, great people that write books and got a good education, a great education, I should say, from those folks. And it allowed me, you know, to get into a maintenance field. I started getting into the maintenance field. And while I was finishing college, they're like, hey, you know, you ought to teach a class. And I'm like, what? You just graduated. And, you know, I got into the, the petrochem industry. And then you start realizing, wow, there's like basics people don't know. I've been out in this field like 30 years, heavy industrial mechanical field and not understanding system analysis. And there was this whole other world where I could do this job if I saw Joe do this job. And you couldn't think through a complicated problem. Through the years, I was starting to realize and I started picking up and teaching a class. And I realized I can be the best person at this company or I could train the best technicians and create the best program. Then made a life decision to get into teaching after that. And, you know, I had my own HVAC company and all kinds of other things. But, you know, when you got to focus on it, you got to focus on it. And eventually I got hired in 2013 at College of DuPage. And, you know, it turned into, you know, you had this canvas that was blank in a 13,000 square foot lab. And I just started throwing truckloads of crap out. I decided that one of the things I wanted to have is our students were going to build our lab that was going to be unmatched by anybody in the whole country. And they could even pay contractors. I'd even give them the simple thing of, you can pay contractors and I'll still have our students build a better lab. And that was our mission, kind of our vision to have the best program we could possibly do. And we started coming. And the, the only reason you're the best program is because you have the best people. And started working with different organizations and you got great instructors in that understood that you got to be in that lab. Students need to have hands-on experiences. They need to work. And 
it, that's what's going to make them that and beyond the testament of them building their own lab, make them more successful in the workforce than anything else. And that was kind of our motto and how we looked at everything. And I'd take anybody on. I don't care if it's a union. I don't care if it's a school. I'll take them all on with our students that have two-year degrees. Maybe they don't have a fourth or a fifth-year apprenticeship. I'll take those people on if they want to come get some of us. Because I know every day what it takes, what you got to do, the people you got to have, the resources and materials you got to deliver into that program so those students can get the real skills they need to be successful to make our organizations and industry partners successful. And that's what it's about. You don't just have a job to the student. You have a job to your community. You have a job to your industry. That's kind of how I believe about things. I know it's when I first heard about the school, I, I've been to many different technical schools over my career. You know, I went to a union apprenticeship school myself, and it was okay. You know, it wasn't anything to write home about. Um, I've been to community colleges. I've been to a really nice, it's our company, just to be clear. We're, we're half union, half non-union. We don't have a hard line in the sand. It's what's best for that local community is what we believe. The school in Pittsburgh, at local union 449, has been really well done. And I was telling somebody about that school and they said, well, that's nothing compared to what Bob has. And I'm like, what? To me, that school was like so far ahead of what I had seen, you know, before that I thought that was the new mark. So I'm excited to come up to your place. And my goal is to come during uh, AHR this year, come see you uh, while we're in town for the convention. Hopefully that'll work out. But I know I just sprang that upon you, but I've been thinking about that. Let's see if I can get your reservation. We have an on-site hotel that the hospitality students use. It's like a five-star hotel. It's great. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that offline. because, uh, Or maybe we set up a travel agency and we start booking that thing out. There's only, there's only six rooms, so it's not too big. My, my point is that you have built a world-class facility by all you know measures that I can find and people that have seen it. So two things come to mind that I'm curious about are, are just points. I think one of them is you know what it takes because you've been a contractor. You own your own business, so you know that side of it. And I think that that's different than people who have been in academia their whole career and they don't understand that side of it. So I think anytime you can go backwards, so to speak, being in the industry, then going back as a leader in, in education, I think is really cool because you can apply real world tactics to the educational route. And then, you know, having the pride in the students is so refreshing. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about how many people walk around squawking about the young people of today, all that same old crap that, you know, my dad probably heard, your dad probably heard, we've all heard it. But there's such a good core group of young people right now. And, you know, are they as numerous as, as we all want? No, but our goal is to create awareness and attract more people to it. But man, there is such a good group of people coming through the age group of people coming through your facility and others that I'm excited that they have a place like yours and, and some of these other great places to go and be taught. What is your perception of the uh, student of today? How do you see them and how do you, I mean, you're, I, I'm looking at it from the outside, but you're there seeing it. So I, I work on uh, CT policy. I work with different groups nationally to try to, whether it's energy with codes and the Department of Energy, I work with all kinds of other things. There's not just the teaching aspect. I, it was just teaching. That's my favorite part. 
you know, having a class. But before I go forward, let me just say, you know, I'm saying I'll take any school on it. And I sound like this mean bully kind of guy, but I literally go out and I help colleges all over the country. And I'm working on national initiatives now with other colleges. And I and all the people that know me that run different programs across the country know that I love them more than the whole world. And they know I'll give them anything I got, help them with anything. And I guarantee you could talk to any single one of them that's ever worked with me and they'll say the same exact thing. Beyond that, because that's what it's about is getting HVACR a different foothold in this world we live in where you have a bunch of psychology, nothing wrong with psychology and all these things, but when you have psychology educated citizens giving career advice, we have a problem in America. You get these psychology educated people and you wonder why schools are filled, you know, with people pursuing psychology degrees is because the people that are given this career advice only understand that and they never really had a career in their life. It's a very serious problem. It's a serious problem in our leadership. When you had, you know, said, you know, what do you think of young people and what happens? It's there's a serious problem in career and technical technical education leadership. And I bet this is across the board, Greg. I'm talking across the entire United States. Even after all this like tax grant funding and all these other things that have promoted manufacturing. People in education leadership only know power words. Workforce, they vocational education, get jobs. They know that garbage. That's and, and that's what they say. And they have a background in English, philosophy, in psychology. And they know nothing about what it takes in a day or what it takes to even train in a career and technical education program. And we wonder why we have a skilled workforce crisis in America. It is absolutely transparent of why it's called leadership is broken. And when you have somebody that's the president of the Office of Career and Technical Education that has a, a philosophy or whatever degree they have, go across the board in every every state for every leadership for technical education. What, why, why are we stripping out you know, mechanical and spatial aptitudes, the hardest thing to learn. You were saying, what do you see in children? I see their minds getting stripped away of technical education of, they're all lost on a cell phone now. And think about cursive. You used to learn cursive. You used to learn metal shop. You used to learn, you know, wood shop. You had to learn how to look at things and see the reveal and make it presentable and how to work with it your hands and connect them to the uh, head and your heart. Nowadays, what you see, I mean, think about even cursive. Think about how technical cursive is. They don't even teach that anymore. It's it's not there. At least that was an easy thing you didn't need a lab for. I try to look at what has been stripped away from the mind of a child in our K through 12 system. And I've, I've had conversations with different U.S. Uh, congressman, you know, explain to them metal shop and wood shop, and they go, there's no jobs in it. You got it. I tell them, it has nothing to do with the jobs. It has everything to do with showing them mechanical and spatial aptitudes. That's the thing that severely lacks is, you know, what's a screwdriver? You know, I know what a TikTok is or a Snapchat. What's a screwdriver? You know, my phone breaks. I have to take it to a person and send it away or just buy a new one. I can't just open it up, pop the electronic charging port off, and then put a new one in. Why? Because I just don't understand technical skills, period. When you look across the board, you have five companies pretty much in automotive or, or less that run our the, the entire industry. So they get together and they have all their certifications, right, and accreditations. And you got these people, these powerhouse companies, 
and they control education. So when you look at high school and the K through 12 system, if you talk about technical education, there is no HVAC there. There is no mechanical. There's a little bit of manufacturing because they've thrown so much money at it in the last couple of years. You see people that have automotive programs. If it's technical education, go work on a car, right? If your pistons are blown up or anything along those lines, work on a car. That's technical education in America because a small set few. But when you look at the majority, the welders, the manufacturers, the HVAC companies that exist everywhere, that's the majority of the jobs. It's the silent majority that doesn't get a voice in the Office of Career and Technical Education. And you got these people with philosophy and English and psychology degrees leading it. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what constitutes a good lab. If it's clean, if they got new equipment to them, they're doing their jobs. It's got nothing to do with how the students are building or using it. It, The pragmatism of the dawn of the people like John Dewey and the folks in uh, Tuscaloosa that that put together programs by having their students build it. That's how it started. And it started also to take crime away. Back in uh, uh, San Francisco, you know, they started figuring out we got all these people They're just going to start killing and destroying each other. And then we wonder why we have a problem in these poor communities. They don't even have a technical program in the inner city schools. You look at CPS. I think there was an article for Chicago Public Schools. 60 schools, 60, failed the standardized exam, Greg. 60, not a student or two, the whole school. When you look at that and you wonder why those kids don't have a chance, the only thing that will save those kids is technical education. And that's what America needs in all these poor areas because those kids don't have a chance. And when I reach out to their senators and I reach out to their aldermen and I'm going to get an email back and I'm trying to help those kids, are they doing their jobs? How many millions of dollars goes over there? You know, how do we help kids in America rise up out of that world? And that's what technical education was for. It was it was to bring people out of poverty, bring people out of crime, you know, and it's just not promoted the way it should be. You look at all these community colleges. They're starting to now. There's a trend moving that way. But when I see kids, they're kids. You know, you know, I'm getting older. I'm going to be the person that, you know, has things to say about the earlier generation that they don't understand. You know, my, my dad used to make fun of my grandpa, you know, that they didn't understand. And they were the greatest generation. And, you know, that. There's always this link. People are people in the dawn of since the dawn of time. Humanity hasn't changed. You read a book like The Republic from that that, uh, old timer Plato. It is the same problems, the human experience that we see everywhere and anywhere. So do I think, you know, kids are they're just put in front of the wrong thing. The public education system is what is failing. And it's because of poor leadership and not guiding to the mechanical and spatial aptitudes and hell automation issues that people need to start understanding now because you can't automate you know an economy if you don't have people to actually automate it you know they they think it's magically going to appear for them right lord knows you just gave us three years worth of content right there in that one statement but that's where i go back to the fact that people that should lead these initiatives come from the experience of having run real business. Because I look at our president of the U.S., regardless of what color your jersey is, the dude has never worked in a job that did not have a .gov behind his email address. And if you're trying to run a country or lead a country, you have to have practical experience in the real world to know what real people are going through. Again, it's not political. 
to me, it's just a fact of you've got people trying to set policy and make decisions without all the facts. They don't they don't know Biden. I'll just say it, in my opinion, has probably never laid on the kitchen floor at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning trying to figure out how he's going to make payroll that week. That's real life stuff that these folks don't know about. And to your point, I love that. You know, you can have a really cool, clean lab with a bunch of new equipment that some well-experienced contractor came in and built for you. That doesn't help the students worth the shit, you know, as far as troubleshooting or understanding how to put the fittings together and all the stuff that makes it. And especially if you give them like a project, make this installation a project with a timeline and a budget and all the stuff that a real world associated with a project. So I, I love the vein in which you think because it's real. I mean, you have to, CTE is real life. I mean, that's just what it is. You can't, you can't dress it up, you know. Well, you take that same paradigm you got going on there with government folks like that. I mean, it's the same thing with education. You have these people that are lifelong education folks, and they're not dumb people. They just learn power words, and it disgusts me to no end sometimes. Because they have no capacity for leadership. They're using power words and people think they have it all figured out. And it, it's a problem. And there's a lot of initiatives out there that are out there. And there's a lot of buzzwords thrown around. These people talk about certifications and blah, 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 blah. If your student can't wire a thermostat, you fail. That's what it comes down to. If you're not in that lab, I, I walk into labs all the time, Greg, and when you walk into a lab and there's no marks on the equipment, there is no wrench marks, stuff's not dented, stuff's not, I mean, it's a full-time job just keeping up with it. That's why I, when I said what it takes, students are the most destructive force on this planet, and there's no such thing as student proof. There's only student resistance. I like it. It's like waterproof and water resistant. You have a set of values that obviously you live by, teach by, work by. What were some of your influences that kind of brought you up to the point of, you know, when you ran a business or when you made this life choice about getting back into the classroom or going back to, to teach? Who were some of those people that were been influential in your life? And, and what, what were some of those strong points that really pop out for you when you were in that impressionable age or stage? That evolves all throughout time. But in the beginning, my dad, my stepdad, you know, he's a stationary engineer for 30 plus years, getting up every day, getting it done, putting food on the table, working hard. I grew up a blue collar slash, you know, uh, IT kind of life. You know, my dad was in the business world. Divorce kind of happened. So I got to see a lot of different things when you grow up in a life like that. And I got to watch a lot of people fail. And when you grow up, you know, there's one class nobody ever talks about. You know, I, I get to see all this crap that, you know, is all over the, the political spectrum all the time. But if you're a white kid that grows up in the ghetto, nobody cares about you, period. Everybody thinks you're privileged and everybody thinks you got to fight. I had to fight. I had to pay for all my own college, literally fight, taking care of yourself, your sister. I have a lot of friends. I've, you want to talk about diversity in the background? I got plenty of that kind of stuff. So when I hear these people yapping and trying to use their education power words on me, it annoys me. And when I see, you know, people that I would consider my brothers fail in life, they have every type of background, it drives me crazy because those are people that were all born to privilege regardless of their color, Greg. These are people 
that are giving advice that are creating these prisons that folks get to live in from the ghetto. And how do you get out of something like that? I think the only thing that will save ghettos in America is technical education. And the world doesn't understand that. And that's why people live the lives they do. And there's a lot of falsehoods and false idols and stuff like that that I think are pushed out there. And I guess the only thing I can really say about it all is it's a damn shame. I concur with that on a lot of the uh, pop culture crap too. It's such an interesting thing to think about. And I recently read about this book, Why Men Don't Work. I forget the exact name, but it's by a guy named Eberstadt. And I've talked about it a lot because it's stuck in my mind that we have somewhere between 10 and 15 million working age men, not even talking women, just working age men that have chosen to drop out of the workforce. They're not, they don't show up in the unemployment numbers. They just don't show up. And there's a bunch of different categories these fit in. And this book shows you, you know, uh, career criminals, veterans who come out of the service, what have you. It really defines the groups of people. But I can't figure out, and this is just a personal thing for me, I can't figure out why. Or, or what makes people want to not participate in, in being part of the norm as we know society being? From that world and that background, isn't broadcasted on national TV with all these, I'll just say it plainly, these idiots that never grew up not in that arena, that want to give life advice in that arena. One of the biggest things in any environment like that, when you grow up in some crazy-ass environment where failure surrounds you and consumes you every second, is the fear of being successful, too, especially when you have the ability. It, it messes with your head in a way. I, I've seen it in a lot of folks. I've seen it in a, a lot of friends walking away and watching that never-ending loop of, seeing your friends and family just give up and fail and do whatever and you don't think you got it in yourself. Fortunately, I had, you know, grandfathers and good role models in my life where I got to watch those kind of things. A lot of people don't. Some people don't even have dads, you know. A lot of people don't have dads, you know, in their lives. It's it's bad. And I think all kids can paint a picture of success by the influential people in their life. And if those people that are their influences are nothing but a bunch of morons, they don't have a chance and they don't have anything to believe in. And that's what it comes down to, Greg, is they don't, and I'm not going all God on us or anything else, but in our program, our focus is to believe in what HVAC at our institution can do to change people's lives and transform them. And it's a faith in that. It's a faith by the people that work there, most importantly, and then the students that attend that program. And once they see that vision, they can go get it. And we try to paint that picture of if you're on board here, you're showing up on time, you're working hard. That's the culture we paint every program every day. Being on time is 15 minutes early. You know, showing up, being at least have a communication pattern if you can't make it. We're all mindful of work. We know you got to put food on your family's table. It if you come here and you don't have tools, you can't afford it, you can't afford books, we'll make it happen, and we supply those tools. You get all these, a lot of programs out there like, you know, you know, Snap-on comes in and, you know, the kid's got $2,000 in debt showing up to be a mechanic. We, we could easily give somebody $2,000 in debt in HVAC. We don't for a reason. That's what's called equity. You got all these people preaching about diversity, equity, inclusion, education. Not one of them knows what it means. Not one of them knows how to deal with the problem in a student that is suffering from financial woes, you know, uh, personal problems, you know, job problems, you know, affording anything or 
or even having the ability to have a, you know, like what we call them first generation students. Their parents never went to college. They don't know what it's all about. How do I navigate these systems? In my opinion, you have a bunch of, you know, administrators that have no grasp in reality and how to streamline a system. And they make these processes so complicated. It destroys equity for people. And here they are preaching that they believe in DEI. Education is so full of shit about DEI. It's not even funny because their ideals and what they focus on are absolutely broken. And that's all the way to the top. It's all the way through policy. It's about politics. Too many politicians have their hand in education and stop things for political reasons that could help communities, especially like the city of Chicago. Politicians stop those kids from ever getting out of that ghetto. If you put technical education programs in, you funded it right, you stop paying useless teachers, those kids would have a chance. And that's what the world's about. Companies need people that want to work. And the second you can teach a belief in work ethic and believing in a career and working hard, that's what America was. That's what America needs to be. Because people erode that with all their education bullshit and their gender stuff and their belief things. It's garbage. Absolute garbage. Now, one of them believe in it. Half of them don't even know people that are anywhere near there. Bob, you you said something that I I believe in uh, strongly, which is role model. And there's so many kids that are growing up in, you know, today's world where they don't have a role model that shows work ethic, that shows ingenuity, shows grit, all those things that historically males have been accountability. Great word. Great word. I, I don't care if it's a male or female because we have to adjust to current time in our thinking. But when the kid doesn't have that, they've got a single parent with a house full of youngins trying to make it. There's little time to make sure that every kid gets what they need across the board. I get that. But what you're doing in your class, you're, you are that role model, you know, for so many that are there because you're teaching what they're not getting at the house. In my opinion, you're, you're showing that using the right language, accountability. What a great word, grit, determination, not giving up, showing up. If you're going to be late, let me know. You know, all that stuff that that we historically got from our dads or our moms that were working. I want to be careful because I think homemaking is a full-time career done well. So I don't want to discredit that. But what you get in a normal old school two-parent household, you're able to fill some of that gap for some of the kids. Not, you know, you're, you're one guy. I think my opinion, and, I, and I've been preaching this for a while, if everybody that believes in what you just said, like I do, would grab a kid around the arm and hug them in and walk them through life, we would be in a whole lot better shape as opposed to people sitting around squawking about how bad it is. Just grab a kid and show them something. Take them to work with you. Take them to church with you. Take them out to eat. Have a conversation. Just take somebody by the arm, you know, under your wing and show them a show them something. I think that that would be a great start because so many kids and young people just don't have that one-on-one time with anybody. And, you know, I think creating awareness 
and and my wife, God bless her, she has mentored several young ladies over our life. We've been together for 38 years and so many young girls, her mentees who are now all grown, it's so weird to see them out, you know, functioning in society. One thing that that she and I I tried to help reinforce was there's another way to live. You don't have to live like what you see 24-7 at home every day. And we didn't do anything lavish. We did common sense, family type value conversations, you know, and it worked in, in so many instances to help just showcase what's out there, what's available, if you can just break out of that bubble of what you see at home and realize like, wow, there's a whole nother deal. And our goal, we, we weren't trying to be all truant in our, in our thoughts other than just trying to show another way. And I think if we all could do that, it would go so far into helping people become aware of opportunities out there, which is my goal is just to create awareness. So, you know, it got me thinking there about a couple of things and I clarify my points here. I don't care who you are. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what you believe. People need to learn in this world how to separate personal belief from professional belief. And when they're in our program, I want them to stay with professional belief. Everybody can have their own. I mean, they can't go too far with their own perspective on how it goes and I'll hold the line and we do across the board. But here's the thing is in education, we have allowed people's personal belief systems to become discriminatory against everybody else's professional or personal beliefs. And they think it's standard practice. And it's obvious why that happened in education. It's because none of them ever had to work in the real world. Not one of them. They're all living in fantasy land where their personal beliefs trump everything. If if, if you're going to allow personal beliefs, well, why don't you let all the other crazy beliefs into the education system because you shouldn't because you got a job to do for the community you got a job to do for industry we got a job here to craft it towards professional beliefs how you need to believe in the profession that i teach happens to be hvac how to believe in that to be successful for your community and your industry and far too much has it happened that education has allowed people with personal beliefs but beliefs a freedom of religion right personal beliefs to come in and pollute higher education and craft people's belief system. No, they shouldn't be allowed to. That should get burnt down across the board in education in America, period. Get back to professional beliefs about what your craft is and not push your beliefs and evangelize everybody out there. And that's a severe problem. And what that does, Greg, why it's important is because that crap gets funded with millions of dollars and just probably hundreds of millions of dollars across the United States that achieves nothing, robs the students, robs the industry, robs the tax base. And that is a crime in America. In my opinion, a lot of that stems from tenureship. You know, we've got a lot of seasoned professionals that work at my company. 30, 40 year people, they're not tenured. They get up and they bust their butt every day to keep their spot in in the hierarchy of life. And when you give people the 
lack of you got to do a good job or you don't get to work here anymore, you, you've, you've lost half of the battle. Because when you can't say, here's the marching orders that we're all going to march to as a body, whether it be student body, teachers association, whatever, the tenureship ruins that, in my opinion, because you take away so much and you allow that professor or that instructor to get to do what the heck they want to do with no ramifications. And I don't agree with that myself. Greg, you ever heard of Isle Royale? No. Or the moose and the wolf population. It's a fascinating study uh, in Lake Superior. It's a national park. In Lake Superior, you got to take a boat to it out of Cockroach Harbor out of the UP. They have a moose and a wolf population. And the moose population grows and gets out of control. And then the wolves come and they kind of clean them out and they grow and get a population. And then the moose, as weird as it is, kind of infects them with their urine when they're hunting them. And they start to die off and get sick. So there's this cyclical thing that happens. So to speak to tenure, I guess I could apply it to the Isle Royale phenomenon of life. Imagine my opinion, Greg, and you have somebody with an English degree or psychology degree uh, in leadership of a government-funded facility. So like, you know, everything's kind of like, I look at it like a busload of kids going to DMV, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. So you got these government people in leadership, they're pure politicians. So the second that I have an opinion, don't you think for a second they would try to wipe me off the face of the planet? That's the problem with government-funded things, is that politicians will always spend more efforts to protect themselves and their own political you know image than they will actually fixing the real problems that's government in general as ron swanson would say useless and inefficient a tenure is an important thing because of the idiots that would be in charge greg if we had a good structure to get rid of these idiots that are in charge of education and had real people that you're talking about that work hard get it done, show up every day, and they know what the values and vision and ideals need to be. The second you get somebody in there that has just got the craziest personal beliefs, now they pollute the entire institution. If you don't have tenure, those people will come for you. So there is a thing that protects it, and I think it's a cyclical thing. You have to watch, and a tenured protection will always protect what's called academic freedom, and that's its intent. Do people abuse it? You're damn right. And those people need to have a way to get them out of there. At some point, if you can't stress an opinion of what's best for education, you can't ever have the fight I got to deal with every single damn day. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to go with you to your next staff meeting. I would love to watch that. <laughs> oh, all you got to do is ask anybody over at our institution. If, uh, they'll let you know about me. All right, Bob. We have talked about a lot of important stuff to me because this as anecdotal as some of it can be it's real you know i mean it's real life we all see it because we're we experience the product of education we've got to help improve education what would you tell a student or a young person or a midlife person what's the value of learning a skilled trade coming to a school like yours going through a lab like yours what is the benefit how 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 do you tell me how to go out and talk to a young person to get involved in what you're doing what's what's the upside there's a lot of people that have been taught you know by other folks that you have to go to college get a job do this do that and they don't ever talk about the the vastness of the career landscape and when it comes to like and i don't i won't just speak on behalf of 
HVACR or any of the, the industry that goes with it, industrial maintenance, whether it's welding, whether it's manufacturing, when you craft yourself a real skill and when you can put that together, you're a marketable person anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter where you go. And if you want to think about it like this, any job you've ever done with anybody, there's people that carry a bucket and there's people that do the work. And the people that do the work will always have a job, will always get paid well, will always be sought after. There are the people that you want your students to become the person at that facility that gets it done better than anybody else and understands it better than anybody else that's constantly learning and constantly evolving with education. Number one thing in college to learn is the love for learning. Because in a technology like we teach, you have to always evolve with it because it's always changing. You get some of these other fields, they don't really necessarily have to change. You can have the same curriculum for 30-something years. Young people need to be aware of when you're in a recession, skilled trades are always there. When I look at just the cost of what it is um, to put a furnace in, to work on a car now, to manufacture a part, when you have a skilled workforce crisis, that wage just goes up. And right now we're in a skilled workforce crisis. And if you look at the cost of an installation of a furnace, it's the labor cost has outweighed the cost of manufacturing. And it's out of control right now. And people just keep raising prices and people just keep paying it because they don't know any better. When we look at this whole spectrum, there's always job security in it. There's always job security. And hey, I want something that challenges me every day to watch a skill is an art form in its own right. And installing even a furnace, installing, you know, piping system, there's a pride that comes with the actual commitment to getting it done in a day that you could step back and go, you know, I built that. And when you're sitting there pushing papers on the phone with customer service all day, that just doesn't happen. You might solve a couple problems for people. You're not building this country to be the greatest nation on earth. You're not. And being part of that skilled workforce that makes America absolutely incredible compared to everybody else by increasing every human being's standard of living that lives in this country by having good plumbing, good electrical infrastructure, good heating and cooling options. So you're not just in a sweltering mess, you know, in the shade all day waiting for the sun to go down. Those kind of people get those type of jobs and they pay extremely well. And you don't have $200,000 in debt so somebody can tell you about their philosophy of psychology. There's a problem when career data in America points to these kind of things, which I'll give you an example of. We had this career database stuff that was showing what people would make at the community college level. And it was showing a person coming out of horticulture at $27,000. It's not even close to the industry standard, but right. because that database said so, put together by a bunch of education people, some parent, some student sees 27000 and they think, how am I making a decision? When you look at psychology or sociology, it says 87000 Greg. There's not one $87,000 a year paying job in psychology or sociology at a two-year level. Not one. And there's very few with the doctorate compared to the whole. The problem is I would suggest and say to students, don't believe the hype of the bullshit that these data sets people are putting in front of your eyes are actually saying. It's a damn racket. Those people should get busted by an SEC of data and slap them around a little bit because that informs a family, it informs kids, it informs everybody, and people look at that financial return. Yep. And that's broken. Somebody that would be in the Office of Career and Technical Education that didn't have some art or philosophy degree or whatever they had 
would know to say that and go beat them down, but they don't. My friend and our industry partner, a fellow named Martin King, who lives out in Oregon, has discovered so much of this, what you're talking about, within the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the crap that they report on trades. He's doing a really good job. I think he's pissing some people off in a good way that we're showing he's done the last two years a really good job of getting real data from contractors of what they pay versus what the BLS website shows. And it's only opposite, you know, of what they're showing. And that goes back to the systemic trickery in my mind to keep people in debt and to keep the government having control and I'm not a, I'm not a cons- conspiracy person at all but I do think that our government wants people in debt and they want them to be beholden to them and I think that's one way they do it I just encourage people to go and get real numbers from real companies and go on interviews and find out what they pay before you make those decisions based on some .gov website yeah, the other the other big problem, Greg, in America is the purse strings of high school. High schools are funded are based on sending those kids to college, not careers. And that is the federal plague that has infected all education facilities across America. A federal plague that we need to get rid of. And if somebody in the Office of Career and Technical Education had a clue, they'd be working on it. And how it's funded at the community college level, how we give out grants, how we give out full-time equivalent funding. Why can somebody that's getting full-time funding getting an art degree, love art, but they can get an art degree if they're taking 12 hours and get full federal benefits, but they start chopping them down if you're working a full-time job and taking you know six hours of credit. The Higher Education Act was supposed to do that. Obviously, people haven't figured it out. So kids and people that are paying taxes in the community can't even receive the same benefits as somebody getting one of these crazy degrees. On a different note, liberal education used to be getting away from what the norm was. Back in the day, it used to be working, Greg. It was working. And that was it was that freedom from that. It's funny that it's come full circle, that cycle, right? That liberal education now is like HVAC. So I have a liberal HVACR program. I'm taking liberal arts away from higher education in America and bringing it back to the trades because they've obviously missed the bucket and didn't find that point of moderation and found themselves believing in whatever propagated their lust for what they felt people needed academically. We are uh, we're encroaching on the uh, magic hour of uh, fun here and Gabby, I want to get your your perspective on some of what Bob has been talking about because you're a recent graduate from a higher ed. How, how do you how do you interpret his words? How does that resonate with you? Bob, I think you make a lot of really good points as far as the education system goes. Um, I think that there is obviously, I mean, there's huge benefits to pursuing any type of career, whether it's in the trades or out of the trades, if it's, you know, 
what you're passionate about. But I do think that, you know, overall, there is a lack of support that comes with wanting to pursue trade education. I think that, you know, there's schools don't really support it as much. Schools don't really talk about it as much. I And I know I've said this on previous podcast episodes with Greg before, but like at my high school, we had like an ag department that did, you know, agronomy and metal working, woodworking, things like that. But it was tucked away in the very back of the school. So unless you were taking any of those classes, you didn't even really know about it. I mean, I was new. I moved to Texas in high school. So it took me up until my junior year to even know that that section of the high school existed because as a student, I was just never down there. And so I was like, there's like six classrooms down here. What? Um, And so it took a really long time for me to even know that it existed. And I ended up, you know, this isn't exactly skilled trades, but I ended up owning a lamb and, you know, doing some FFA work and things like that. And that was something that I found that I really loved, but because I didn't know about it until so late, I only got to do that for my senior year of high school. And it kind of felt like I had missed out on a lot of really cool opportunities because it wasn't necessarily a career path that I wanted to pursue, but it was really important education to me. I felt like I learned so much about not even just caring for, you know, a farm animal, but I learned a lot about what it takes to keep up with a barn. And, you know, if it gets ringworm, what are you, what are you doing? And like anyone can get ringworm. So that's actually a really helpful skill. It's not just farm animals. Surprise, surprise. I have a scar from mine. So it was, there was a lot of things that I learned from being in that program itself, that much like, you know, you can learn from being in any sort of program that teaches you anything about the skilled trades that lets you work with your hands at all, that just really isn't quite as supported and it's not really shown or demonstrated. And I think that, you know, as far as you were saying with, you know, getting kids out of the ghetto and putting them in jobs where they can work with their hands, that is, I mean, that's a huge benefit. I have friends who didn't live the best lives. They weren't dealt the greatest cards and they are out in those industries. They're working in the food industry. They're working in the skilled trades industry. Their lives have improved immensely once they started doing that. But while they were in public school and, you know, everyone was pushing college on them and trying to make them do these things that they just, they couldn't afford. They didn't want to do because it wasn't something they were even remotely passionate about. It like steered them in the wrong direction. And so I think there's a lot of power that comes from working with your hands. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why sports are such a huge thing because it gives you that physical activity and it gives you a chance to step on the field and put whatever is going on outside of the field and leave it in the back of your mind while you're focusing on a task that's actually moving your body. And it's, I see the skill trades in the same way where you're working with your hands, you're building something 
that you can look at afterwards and feel a sense of achievement and like satisfaction from like a job well done. Where like you were saying before with another job, you don't necessarily always get that level of satisfaction because you kind of can't see your product as well. You know, you can't look at the table that you built and be like, wow, look at that awesome table. Like I did that by myself. It's a little bit of a different satisfaction level. And some people they need to physically see in front of them, hey, I did that. I did a good job because sometimes it just doesn't click. And you've got a lot of people questioning their success and their abilities because they don't see a physical product of their hard work in front of them. No, that's well said, Gabby. I, I agree that tangible, you know, and, and everybody can't build a table. Everybody can't build a, size, a, a, a skyscraper. But what it does is, is maybe even if somebody is pushing paper, they're pushing it for the common good of what they're trying to achieve, which is to build the skyscraper. Maybe they're the assistant product, project manager, whatever, but it keeps it keeps everybody moving. Nobody gets stagnant. You know, you got to have that gumption. And, and But that goes back to what we talked about earlier. You got to have that a little bit of grit and grind and you can get up and make it happen. Well, guys, I know we could go forever. This is such a stimulating topic. It's one that I'm passionate about. Bob, obviously you are as well. I appreciate you taking time to share with us. And um, I do look forward to coming to see your facility Uh I just wish that AHR Ashray would figure out that maybe April would be a better month to come up uh, in <laughs> Chicago than January. But nonetheless, we'll we'll be there. Fight the storms, fight the storms, Greg. Indeed, yep. toughest climate yeah. on the planet. Say again, one of, one of the hardest climates on the planet for HVAC. You know, the swings, yeah. Yeah. moves. So now I got to go do this whole wolf and and elk research. Uh, thing so i'm on that but a great story uh, appreciate your your time and your thoughts uh gabby you want to wrap this thing up and uh i'm sure that you probably have stuff to go ponder now like i do so we'll be pondering uh bob's thoughts and and his contribution to what's what he's doing in chicago and the industry at large so thank you well like greg was saying thank you bob for joining us. Um, I always come on this podcast and learn something new. So it's always great to meet other industry experts and thought leaders like yourself, you know, sharing your views that, you know, are really powerful and have a lot of meaning behind them. So thank you for, for joining us for this conversation. Um, as for everyone else listening, Thank you for joining us for another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. For more episodes like this, you can subscribe through Apple or Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to check out gregcrumpton.com for all of your Greg Crumpton content. This, this, this is Straight, straight, straight Outta Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. <laughs>